0: Hello everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer Podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Equalizer editor in chief Jeff Kasouf. How's it going, Jeff?
1: Good, good. Happy to be back.
0: Yeah, it's um we've got some stuff to talk about for sure, right? We've got some good, we've got some bad uh it was kind of a bizarre weekend in NWSL which i think we always knew it was going to feel that way even just because of the way things were scheduled um we had a number of regular season games we had two teams not play at all we had the challenge cup final which i think maybe that's a good place to start is in terms of stakes going into this match we're going to we're going to go long on on the challenge cup final i think it felt like the stakes were pretty high. And I know for me, it was, I felt a little bit of that sort of cognitive dissonance of you're watching these other early season games. And then you have a a game that's very important right in the middle of it, especially because of the money involved. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was that announcement on, on Friday before the game kicked off, um, you know, they, they outlined what players were playing for this year. And then, um, they have been this new sponsor of, of UKG and they're going to invest even more into the challenge cup prize money for next year. So it gave very serious stakes to this game. So Jeff, for you, maybe we'll just start with, you can set the scene. And I know you've written about this quite a bit and you had some very good quotes from, from, I think Chris Ward, especially about this, but, were the stakes here too high for this tournament as scheduled?
1: Well, you use the term dissonance, and I think that applies here in in the sense that, you know, those stakes have been created really financially, right? Because the the actual execution of the tournament had many, many of teams and, and maybe coaches is a better way to put that, having to juggle, okay, this is also overlapping a regular season, this is – you know, in, more or less, I think it was mostly treated until the final stages, which we saw the intensity of those, even in the semifinals, you know, until the final stages, largely treated as a preseason tournament for most. Right. And, and then you assign a dollar figure to it, which, you know, in the case of the courage players now is $10,000 bonus for every player, because that was the winning team. And, you know, that is, um, I mean, I think it's, for most people listening to, to this podcast, it's probably a pretty good size, you know, sum of money. And for players where, you know, minimum salary has gone up but it's still thirty-five grand, you know, average compensation package, as the league likes to call it, which is a fancy term for uh something else, I guess, but it's you know, it's fifty-four grand. I mean, you know, relatively speaking, put these players in with the the average sort of person in, in a salary sense, many of them unfortunately below. And and then you're talking about a bonus that could be you know 30% of some of their their salaries. So that that assigned sort of dollar figure creates that importance and I think that's what you know Chris Ward among others nailed on the head was you know then the execution of it doesn't you know it doesn't match that because right. it's it's a tournament wedged into the start of the regular season you've got um, this this sort of abrupt rescheduling of games that has to happen at, you know, I think it came through at 11.30 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday night after those games, those semifinals. So, um, you know, stakes, I, I I think it's hard to say, like, I, I think it'd be harsh to say artificially high stakes, mm-hmm. but but in that sense, I think that's maybe a fair way to put it. And then obviously the way the match played out, the way Wednesday's semifinal in, in D.C. played out, right. you know, clearly you could see that the players felt that in the way they were playing
0: 100%. Right. And I think um, we should, yeah, that's a good segue to talk a little bit about the semifinals because those did happen since the last time re- we recorded uh, Lori Lindsay and I did correctly pick, pick the final two um, <laughs> North Carolina defeated Kansas city, current Washington spirit. I'll say advanced past OL rain. I don't know if that was so much of a, a victory as mm-hmm. it was. They just kind of survived. Um, yeah. And I think you could see and I think with this carried over into this weekend, even in some of the regular season games is and, and this is cult- this is cultivated by by the coaches and by the people who work in soccer operations is that they take these games really seriously and they take them even more so seriously when you do assign that financial stake to it. And so we have the case of the rain, right? We should talk about this a little bit maybe about how. They are not able to actually host their semifinal. They spend about a week on the road playing Washington twice. They did at least get to play at Audi field twice, which is good. Um, And then they walk away empty handed and they have to come back on short rest to play their second regular season match. So they don't get any money and they've spent probably a significant amount just making this happen. And they feel and I think that they have a, a good argument for this, that um, it was an officiating error that cost them the match. And I think it, none of these things are intentional, but it becomes this perfect storm, right? Mm-hmm. And you can feel the dissatisfa- diss- dissatisfaction in the player pool really clearly right now. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And I guess they, they did get 1500, but they won't care about that, I guess, yeah. the semifinals. Right. But you know, I, I think, um, you know, this is all predictable, right? I mean, I, I think we the the word came through on what this schedule is going to look like, maybe late January, February. I mean, it was early in the year that this was being talked about, and and this is kind of what sort of blows my mind. I think I think new commissioner Jessica Berman has stepped in and said, you know. As much as she could say in the moment, uh, I'll give her credit. I mean, I don't think she can come in and say, hey, this was terrible, you know, right. and, and it wasn't even her doing. And, and then she's got other people that, you know, are obviously working for her now that have worked hard on this. And that's not to discredit that scheduling is a difficult thing. But sure. this specific element of an overlap of the regular season of um, a semifinal that's three days after a final with rescheduling games in between, like this was all very predictable. And I don't know a single person that I've spoken with. And obviously folks at, you know, at the league thought this was not the case, but everybody I spoke with from the beginning of this, even being the sort of rumored prospect was like, this is a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. And, and then it came and we saw it play out and in the obvious ways, which is, you know, that game, that semifinal is not at Lumen field. Yes. Because Lumen field is booked, but also because there's no, you know, wiggle room with a three day turnaround mm-hmm. to a right. final and, right. you know, and then the, the, the issues sort of the, the refereeing and everything compounding this um, you know, I, I think everything here was predictable and um, that's where, you know, I, I've been writing this and, and we finally got the official word that that UKG is this multi-year sponsor. And mm-hmm. like, this is the NWSL found a TV slot for specific reasons that they needed to make it work in this, in this window And it, it was attached to sponsorship. So now you have these two sort of big commercial arms Mm -hmm. and that overruled, I mean, bottom line is that overruled the, the problem with, you know, the, the, frankly, the player safety side, the scheduling side, all the concerns from a technical side, let's call it. And I think that's, you know, that's where, um, you know, we can talk about it if you want. I, I think how do you improve this? I think everybody's kind of had their say, but it it's here to stay. So now I think and, and Berman seems to realize this, right now is the time to get it right for next year.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you could say that the the league got few breaks with like bad timing, but they really lucked out actually that the rain did not win because
1: <laughs> right. if
0: that game had been played at Lumen field, it would have been a 10 a.m. Kickoff.
1: But, but um, so clear, how are we like, that's the thing. Like, how are we saying this six months after the big hullabaloo over a right. 10 a.m. proposed kickoff? Right. right.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so, and, and like I said, the league just kind of lucked out that this did not become a bigger issue because I think players were primed to, yeah. to be bringing this up. Yeah. Um, and, and so let's get in, maybe get into the game itself, uh, North Carolina hosting Washington. Um, the courage did win this game, right? They win it two to one. I think if you look at the overall performances that feels about right, I don't think that I think that the result matched, um, how the game went, it was a strong start, right? The first half hour was really pretty exciting. Um, Washington was missing Andy Sullivan, pretty Pretty clearly they were really struggling with that area of the pitch in front of their back line. Uh, North Carolina would have these incredible runs forward to and Caroline, they connect for an opening goal. Uh, But then North Carolina still has the propensity to make some mistakes turnovers in the midfield and and Washington gets one back. We're one, one at halftime and we're thinking, okay, this is going fine. Right. (laughs) Um, And then things really start to change in the second half and both coaches after the game talked about how basically the tactics, the lineups, all of it was just fully dictated by the conditions and not getting players into, and and people talk about this, about that red zone, right? That conditioning red zone where you have to pull somebody or they're going to get hurt or they're going to hurt somebody else. And it felt like, the teams did not even have enough control over that rotation to be able to make those choices in the second half, and everything just kind of fell apart, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was a fun first 45, and then obviously, you know, I I certainly couldn't use the word fun in that second half. Um, Yeah, I I think that is, you know, intangible in ways maybe, but everything we were just talking about with scheduling issues and that, like you said, I mean, the the actual load on players, I think you see that um, you have to attribute some of you know bad tackles, decision making to the fatigue, the workload that that they've been under.
0: Right. Well, and it also it affected, you know, it was interesting, you know, Sean Nehas said after the game in talking about the adjustments that the team did make. And this is also where I want to, I do want to give credit to North Carolina because they played a really smart game and they didn't even necessarily play their game. We we talk a lot about high transition end to end waves of pressure. Um, they didn't really do that because and Neha said it was because he didn't think they had the legs for it. They didn't do a high press uh, they they sat back a little bit more and they just tried to clog lanes and frustrate the spirit. And for the most part, they did so really successfully. And so in a weird way, I, like I said, Washington was also missing some pieces, but and especially you could see it in their distribution and in their transition defending, but like, it seemed like North Carolina played to their strengths, but also played the game that was in front of them. And that is possibly what won them the game,
1: yeah, I thought we saw some some classic courage you know from from years past in in a way in in this game in this final and and i think um you know always i think it's it's a little difficult i I'll, I'll admit that in in saying that that to like reference that even because of all of the context of the past, you know, six, eight months, but, you know, just in terms of the success that they had on the field, how they made that happen, you know, they're obviously still in this box formation. Um, and and I think that what they got away from last year on the field, um, maybe for understandable reasons in, in retrospect is just kind of that, that identity of like pressing the the heck out of teams. And um, even when they're not pressing, being able to, as you said, kind of turn around and strike on the counter. And that's what we saw I mean, that opener I thought was a perfect sort of execution, you know, when you talk about playing the game in front of them of, you know, Washington asks basically anytime they're in possession or as soon as they, they obtain possession, they want Kelly O'Hara high and wide, you know, nothing unique about that necessarily, but leaves that space in behind. And that's exactly where Dabinia... Um, you know, maybe if you want to call it lucky, I don't think it is when, you know, she's on the ball of right. how she gets past O'Hara 1v1 in that sense, and then just carries the ball into that space for 60 yards on that first goal. And and I think that's where, you know, we saw that entire first half, that was that space they attacked. I, I think, you know, in many ways, the Spirit were very fortunate to be level at the half, and that's mm-hmm. a credit to uh, a little bit to to North Carolina not finishing, but also, you know, their ability themselves to kind of turn around and make something of nothing.
0: Yeah, I thought uh, Jason Anderson made a good point about the defensive aspect, which is that it's not even that the Spirit's 1v1 defending is particularly poor. It was just that they had to they had to do it so many times. Mm-hmm. And so when you go into that many 1v1s because your, your shape is a little bit out of whack, then eventually when you're playing players as good as North Carolina has, it's not going to go your way. Um, we saw the Spirit, I think, They did try in that first half also to really adjust for Caroline. Obviously she drew a couple penalties against them, uh, in the group stage. And, and so they tried to give her space, stay in front of her. Um, and, and I think that that was some interesting one V one adjustments that, that made sense to me. And then I think we just saw some of that classic, uh, call it some classic Washington spirit where they go down a goal and they they adjust i saw ashley hatch pushing further down into the midfield to get service they were trying to basically play north carolina at their game a little bit more and like you said it was a little bit of luck to go in level though those kinds of goals by hatch are becoming really really frequent which i think Mm -hmm. is very impressive she she gets these goals that um that constantly, you maybe say, "Oh, that felt a little bit lucky," but she keeps doing it, right?
1: Right. <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the consistency of them. Yeah. You, you yeah. probably can't say that. I think that'll be. I, I won't derail us, but I think that'll be an interesting stylistic thing for mm-hmm. for Vlado because you know she's a obviously a poacher nine, and mm-hmm. you know that that's not as frequent mm-hmm. or as common in that pool.
0: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, so let's talk about the second half. And, and maybe this is where we need to get into. I know what people are focused on this weekend, obviously, is the officiating. And so, Jeff, I'm going to leave it to you. You get to be you get to be <laughs> the expert who uh, you get to, to define define for us how much of this is feeling and how much of it is fact. Mm. How bad is the officiating versus how bad does the officiating feel?
1: Mm, Okay. That's a good question. You're leaving it to me to get the phone call from somebody. I know, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um, Well, look, I think, you know, as a, as an issue in the league, you know, unfortunately I think this is something that's been, been discussed all too often for for too long. Um, Mm -hmm. Feel is, is part of it. I think it's easy to get caught up in the moment at times, easy to forget. Um, not, not defending any individual decision here and, and maybe speaking more broadly than just the final, but like, sure. you know, these are human beings in real time in a fast paced game in a transitional league. And, you know, I think part of this conversation is the lack of VAR, you know, mm-hmm. d- does VAR um, take away an injury that's happened? No, but, right. you know, maybe the argument for having something like that in place, make sure a game doesn't get out of hand and and therefore something like, you know, I mean, you said Caroline drawing two PKs in the group stage and should have had one in this final. She finally had her right. first goal of the in league play. Um, but you know, I think that feel is part of it, and it can get carried away. But look, I mean, it's it's an issue, and and I think um, you know some of these things that you you referenced the the rest of the weekend. I mean, there's still things like did a ball cross a line? Um, right. You know, was this player offside? We can't even answer those questions because that dovetails into. TV, which is right, you know right. cameras and everything is part of VAR. So um, officiating look games get out of hand. I think that you could argue that Wednesday semifinal in DC did. I think that obviously um, and somewhat sneakily, I would say the final got out of hand because I, I do think, you know, like you just said that the, that first 45 was fun. I don't think I would characterize it as particularly physical and then, you know, tired legs or whatever sets in and, and you know, we don't get that PK uh, from called on Carolyn, which was which really seemed obvious. And then, right. you know, you get the boot to Ursig's mm-hmm. chest. And then obviously mm-hmm. the, the moment that had everybody quite scared and, and whether that was um whether they're related or not, you know, I, I think you could argue that just the escalation of things leads to that, but right, um, yeah, I, I think um, in, in short, I mean, refereeing, it's a bigger picture than just, I think a lot of people want to say what's going on here and rightfully so like that's, that's what the player's bottom line is what's going on here, but how do you fix it? I mean, that's, you know, and I think you've written about this too, Claire. I mean, this is for starters, you got to separate it that it's pro who who runs the refereeing uh, in the NWSL and all these other pro leagues. And then, you know, who's getting assigned there? How does the NWSL rank amid, you know, amidst other leagues and, The fact that it's not a priority, Um, I think there are a lot of issues there that are layered and, you know, the bottom line on a lot of them is, and a lot of the problems with this league that that need to be addressed, money is part of the answer.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, I'm with you. I I don't want to be seen to be defending the individual decisions because mistakes were clearly made and Mm -hmm. those mistakes have consequences and those are very obvious. Um, I also think that players, especially in this league are very competitive and it's Mm -hmm. what makes the league great, but it does place a higher responsibility on, on those to keep things in control and keep players safe. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, the resource issue is, is it's, it's the beginning and the end of it. Right. And, and that's where it's almost depressing to talk about because I don't see how this gets better without a serious institutional shift in priority that we have not really seen coming.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, we, we all know that the NWSL refs are considered that tier two, right. They're not considered the, the top tier within PRO, um, even when we talk about like the you you go back to like the scheduling issues with venues, do these venues have the capabilities for VAR? Um, Is PRO willing to staff and train? Because as we all know, poorly used VAR is not necessarily the answer. (laughs) Um, and, And then at that point you think, okay, we have these issues with these individual mistakes and these individuals who are letting players down but they also don't have the resources that they need to do a better job. And I'm not entirely sure. I think you should direct. I think that energy should be directed at the league. Right. But I think some of it just really has to squarely lie with, with PRO. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. It's both. Yeah. I mean, you know, The, the VAR investment, you know, I remember asking about this in 2018. So about four years ago, because this conversation is, is not new and, you know, it was kind of vaguely put to me that it's probably a seven figure investment, but, you know, at that time you've also got, you know, you've got sky blue playing at your sac field and and things like that, where, you know, VAR is, I mean, it's a joke to even think about it in a venue like that. And, you know, once you get San Diego transitioned, I, I think. I have to think off the top of my head. All these stadiums that teams are in now are either already equipped or have the capability and means of being equipped with, you know, the funding that you mentioned, which I think is a funding issue for, you know, just like broadcasts that the league is paying for. Like the league has to pay for some of this. Certainly, pro yeah. is is involved. Um, I think that the couple two thing two quick things that are, are worth mentioning in this conversation. Um, because I think it's, you know, like you're kind of alluding to, in fairness to some of the individuals here, like, you know, one is, and there are far greater experts in this than I am, but there's kind of a referee shortage period in, right. in the country and that, you know, we see it at this top level, but that's a problem everywhere. And I think maybe there's a knock-on effect there. And then, you know, to your point of, is this, is this fact or feeling, you know, I think we're in agreement. There's a lot of just factual, I think, Part of the problem here, is so many things that seem really, really blatant. Even if you don't account for slowing down or replay, all these things that that go uncalled and unnoticed. But I, I think an issue here, and, and to your point of it needing to be addressed, is like the level of frustration from players. Yeah, I think in a vacuum is almost unfair to a lot of referees in the moment, or a lot of individuals. But it is a product of these players, many of whom have been in this league for long enough now that they feel like they've been having the same conversation and they've been asking the same questions. And now, you know, they're counting that in years and not weeks and months and they're tired of it. So every little thing, even when you know, you see them arguing when, you know, we're sitting at home and we're like, actually the ref was right here on the right. Replay. Right. But they're yeah. like, they're irate about it's it. It's like and the,
0: the trust is not there. Right. The right.
1: Trust. The, the the relationship is totally eroded. And I think yeah. that's, that's where, you know, okay, we've got a big problem here.
0: Yeah. That yes. And I think that's also, you know, maybe to wrap this up, you know, and, and we'll, we should probably recap the rest of the game. So, um, Uh, A number of subs had to be made at the end of the game. Uh, There was a very scary moment where stoppage, there was a stoppage of play in the 80th minute because Jordan Baggett had a head injury, a a pretty serious head injury, Um, nine minutes of stoppage time after the non PK call North Carolina scores almost immediately off of the following corner kick, but that also left Aubrey Kingsbury shaken up. It just, it didn't really feel like a soccer game at that point Um, though. Like I said, I think the right team won, Uh, but yeah, to kind of, again, wrap it up. I know there are internal processes to, um, bring things up with, with the referees, right? You can clip things. I know teams send clips to PRO for, um, further evaluation, um, for furthering education. I think if you're seeing this much public, discourse about it from people within the league. You talk about that trust. I'm not sure the trust of the internal processes are there. However, final thought on the challenge cup final is this. I was a little bit surprised after the game was over and we get to the post game quotes. And obviously many of the questions posed are about the issues with this game and the issues with this tournament. And I think everybody, I think Chris Ward, um, Abby, Eric Carson Pickett and Sean Ney has all said that they think the league knows like they, there was some reassurance there. Uh, Chris Ward said that there are coaching, you know, the coaches have sort of bounded, banded together to, to bring things up in proper channels. Um, I think it was uh, Abby Erceg who said, I think there are people within the league now that know this is a problem and they're going to fix it. Uh, I I forget if, if mentioned it as well. So does it feel like perhaps, like you said, Jessica Berman inherited this um it seems like there's maybe been some faith restored that the league is at least aware that this can't happen this way again right
1: i'd like to say so i mean i think she deserves a benefit of the doubt you know coming into the situation and and taking some time to assess like you know for better or worse i think she saw a whole array of issues up close and personal over the past week i mean from the the dc scheduling issue that you know to to her credit um and to the league's credit they they sorted out to get that game from Segra to Audi, even though she yes. was speaking at event at an event at Audi the same day and um you know then obviously the the challenge club cup up close and personal in the final, so I think you know she deserves the benefit of the doubt to, for that and then hopefully um you know i I hope that i think what everybody wants and and the coaches to your point about coaches wanting some say and and addressing this i mean i think that coaches and players to a theme that we've seen for months now for, for other reasons, like want a, a voice and just to know that they're heard and in, in some things and maybe, you know, referees too. Um, so I, I think that that is, that's the hope. And if you're, so I, I would say I'm optimistic and I think we should be optimistic, but somebody, and, and this will ultimately fall on Berman very soon is somebody has to show a tangible plan to what those next steps are.
0: So, I mean, congratulations to North Carolina. It's too bad that it feels like these other issues uh, overruled uh, their narrative, which I think that they they feel very strongly. I know um, Abby Ursig talked about this. Sean has talked about this. They want to win. They don't want a rebuilding year. They want to win trophies. That's the DNA of the club. And, um, Neha's even, I mean, he used the term restoring honor, right? They, they felt very acutely, uh, the, the effects of, of the last six months. And I, I think that they've got a couple real young, cool superstars down in North Carolina, and it'll be exciting to see what they can do in the regular season. Um, Washington is going to have to regroup a little bit. It seems like, um, and they will not have a lot of time to do so because, (laughs) regular season is 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 upon us so we're going to take a little bit of a break and talk a couple regular season games real quick in part two All right. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Jeff Kasouf. Please give this podcast a five-star rating and Apple podcast. Give us a nice review. It helps people find us, helps the pod get out to more people who might be looking for a women's soccer fix. So honestly, talking about this NWSL regular season weekend seemed weird, I think, but there are like circumstances to many of these games. Uh, you look at Angel City maybe having a little bit of an ebb in the collective energy after that huge high of last weekend. The rain obviously had a tough week, uh, so they ended up dropping points against Louisville. Houston was able to put some stuff together though I'm not sure they really had the run of play, but they finally got a, a result going, which I think was very good for them to see. But the game I really want to talk about is San Diego for nothing over Gotham FC. So early days, right? It's just the second second game of the season. This was San Diego's home opener, so a lot of travel for Gotham. Gotham had to go down to Orlando last weekend, down to San Diego this weekend. Um, that was rough, though, right, for New Jersey? <laughs> Were you surprised, Jeff?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, certainly by the, you know, I think the, the standard of the actual score being a 4-0 goose egg and, and obviously Alex Morgan scoring all four, which is, um, tying the league record. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that in a, in a nutshell, the context, certainly surprising, maybe not the results itself, because I think San Diego's kind of been able to come together a little bit here.
0: Right. So San Diego is, is sort of fascinating, I think, because there are still, they still have these expansion team moments. Right. But I wonder a little bit if, the result that the rain got against them in the group stage of the challenge cup might've overly tipped expectations a little bit too low for the wave perhaps. Cause you know, they give up well like three goals in the first 15 minutes or whatever against the rain. And you go, Oh, well that's, that's an expansion side. That's what happens sometimes. Um, but it seems like in, in the weeks that have, have passed since then they've been building a, a good trajectory for themselves. Um, I still think obviously they have midfield issues, but they, really effectively defended Gotham in in a pretty comprehensive way. And I think the thing about this, this scoreline, though like obviously 4 nothing is not the worst the league's ever seen, right? There was Chicago in Portland last year. Um, I think the what six, six nothing, six one is the is the highest score line. We saw in North Carolina like crush Portland in 2019. Um, but when you look at some of the stats of this one. And I think everybody really enjoyed some of the data viz that came out of this game. Um, I think the San Diego had more than 25 shots in the box. They recorded the highest XG, including the penalties to be, to be fair, but they, they recorded the highest XG ever in, in NWSL history, meaning that this was not the, the scoreline was not a fluke in, in that they did not over um, perform what their stats were looking like. So for you, Jeff, is that like big alarm bells for the Gotham defense? Or do you think you just kind of wipe this one away, say nothing to learn from this one and just keep, keep it pushing? Well,
1: I I don't think you wipe it away, say nothing to learn. I mean, you know, how the, the level of alarm bell, um, I guess, you know, TBD or, or, you know, depends on who you ask, but certainly, you know, I think that there were some maybe quiet concerns just about exactly, you know, evolution. Let, let me start with this. It's week two, like you said, so, sure. or, or, you know, week one for some of these teams still because of the scheduling. So, um, you know, I think that I, I keep saying this last year we were in like week seven and Orlando is at the top of the table. So right. certainly these things can, can regress to the mean in a, in a good or bad way for teams. And so I don't think that, you know, Uh, I I don't want to provide anybody their, their poster board material because of week two, but I I think that, you know, I think that quietly, you know, there are some questions that, that were asked a little bit about Gotham in, in this off season, as you see, a, you know, a Kalen Sheridan depart, um, you know, you see, uh. I think what is the what is the exact plan in midfield in the back line and and how's that going to look? Because in some ways they had sort of um, I think in the midfield you could argue there were redundant players last year, mm-hmm. um, and then you know on the back line you have a few different options, but you know different strengths and weaknesses of of each, even at center back, and um, so I, I think that you know, Gotham is certainly a team that can still be, and and this result does not say that they are not a contender, um, but certainly a wake-up call in a lot of ways that I think, um, you know, this is a, a team that probably needs to prove a few things against uh, some of the better squads, um, some of the squads that are legit, you know, oil rain. I mean, the spirit, obviously, they've seen in the Challenge Cup. Um, so I, I think that Gotham, you know, a lot to prove still, and, and maybe, um, you know, for San Diego, obviously a, a big result for them, you know, in the table, sitting atop the table now alone, just because of the schedule quirks. And then also just mentally, because, you know, you mentioned the rain game, uh, they, they went right after that and gave up three in the first half to Portland too. So, oh, that's
0: right. Yeah. you know, I, I think
1: that that's, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if those ups and downs, or even those extreme ups and downs, continue. And and this right. would be, you know, extremes on the bad end for them there. And this one is probably as extreme as it gets uh, on the victory side. But um, yeah, I, I think good result for for San Diego, uh, a lot to build off of there, even mentally. And then you know, for Gotham, I, I think maybe um, you know the cliche of like a good loss to take. I think. If you're Scott Parkinson, if you have some questions and concerns about, you know, individuals, personnel, how they fit together, you know, maybe this is the kind of result that if you're struggling with, what does that look like? I mean, here's something in the flesh to say, okay, you know, maybe this is an answer for me.
0: So, I'm putting you on the spot again, um, but I'm truly curious about this. So we were watching the game at home, and I think a lot of people identified some struggles in Gotham's midfield, specifically that they were having some trouble placing pressure on San Diego's back line. Um, and, and it kind of forced the outside backs into a more ineffective game because they couldn't move with as much freedom. Um now, after the game, Scott Parkinson was asked about this. Uh, was asked sort of about were there in, you know imbalances in the midfield causing strain on the defense? And he said that he thought the midfield was fine, and that it was more about the outside back performances and their struggles on the wing that placed undue pressure on the midfield. Do you agree with that? Do you think like I? I'm always really fascinated with with these these post game quotes because I'm like there's like a, a lot of layers, right? You're like okay, what does this coach feel comfortable saying publicly, right? What does this coach really think happened? And then what did he see that maybe we at home did not see? Um, so for you, Jeff, we know the capabilities of Gotham's outside backs, Caprice Didasco and Amani Dorsey. Um, did you see, did you identify the issue being in the midfield there? Or do you think that they just got stopped?
1: Well, firstly, I think very good point on the, you know, what can be said, what can't, what do they want? Sure. You got to take all of it with
0: a grain of salt. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think any, there is no straightforward from anybody. There's no straightforward uh, post game. I I don't think, but um, look, I I think you look at the goals conceded, at least from the the run of play. um, And and maybe even, you know, you can relate a little bit to the the PKs, but, um, or, or should really relate to the PKs. I mean, the second one, I think you see the fullback issue. Now, if you're asking your fullbacks to, you know, push high and wide, be part of that attack as as Gotham typically does, whether that, you know, is exactly accurate on the day or not. Right. Um, you know, I, I think you have to know that potential exposure that leaves. Um, And, and, you know, that leaves, you know, typically it's going to leave your two center backs and maybe a holding mid who's dropped in to, to deal with that. So um, I think, you know, maybe the cop-out answer is it's a combination because they really are all related, but, you know, certainly in isolation, I think you can look at uh, this four goal performance from San Diego, from Alex Morgan um, and see, you know, where those, those flanks got exposed from, you know, from two, As you said, I mean, you know, I think Didasco was in that conversation last year as a top fullback, top defender in the league. So, um, you know, credit to San Diego for being able to exploit that.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, you look at the fourth goal, right, which was like a a poor back pass from Didasco, And that's where it's like game state also affects things mentally as well. When things are going that poorly, um, you maybe are even more likely to, uh, to be making mistakes in the back line. All right. Final question. Is... So obviously there are are awards for MVP at the end of the season and also Goalkeeper of the Year. Now, if we're using the classic sense of most valuable player, Kaylin Sheridan, what she brings to the San Diego back line in terms of not just shot stopping, but it appears to be the ability to to organize even when things aren't always going at their best versus – Gotham's still kind of finding their way without her. Kalen Sheridan has to be one of the best players in the entire league, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I I think that's fair too, from the standpoint that, you know, we don't talk about goalkeepers very often in that sense, in comparison to value and, and, you know, compared to field players. So, you know, I I think that especially in a, a league where goalkeeping depth is strong in general, there aren't a lot of places to be had and, and, you know, spots to be one that I think that we probably should be, you know, as you said, and, and credit to you for saying that, I think we should be talking about goalkeepers in that sense, even more, even if it's difficult to, how do you compare a goalkeeper to, I mean, maybe you can compare to a forward when they're going up against them, but, you know, a midfield, how do you compare a goalkeeper and a holding midfielder? But I think, yeah, in a classic value sense, um, you know, Kalen Sheridan, you, you can trace that to, you know, her leaving Gotham at, and simultaneously D.D. Heritage going to L.A., right. and and that's kind of a triangular move in a sense right. that affects all three of those keepers in those places now. And, you know, look what Sheridan's doing. Look at some of the, the struggles that have been had at a team level so far in the other places. And, um, yeah, I think I think that's a fair statement.
0: Cool. So storylines to watch, uh, to see how Gotham bounces back to see, you know, San Diego, I think you can't talk about any team, truly any team being a quote unquote, like real deal at this moment, but (laughs) they, they look, it's a very strong start for them. Um, and all the momentum they can build now will be incredibly important as the season goes on. Um, anything for you, Jeff, maybe just one holistic question before we go. Um, is there a particular storyline that you're, you've got your eye on uh, league wide, um, going into what is now the actual regular season with challenge cup
1: wrapped up mm, league wide. I mean, that's yeah. Plenty, plenty of them, obviously. I think, you know, maybe to touch on one that we haven't talked about yet really interested to see what we get from Kansas city this year, I would say, you know, mm-hmm. I think people jumped up, um, rightly so, you know, we're high on them for the way they came out of the the challenge cup group stage, even without, you know, Lynn Williams is out for the year and and mostly without Sam Mewis for, for that whole, that whole stage, Um, you know, didn't get through that semifinal and, and, you know, so, so back-to-back results really from the semifinal and then the, the dash loss loss to the dash this weekend.
0: Well, and that, that quite bad loss to Portland the weekend prior, right? Yeah.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I, I'm, I'm curious to see where they go from here because I think you could relate all three of those results in a way, you know, you're already through to the semis and the challenge cup, how does that affect you in Portland? Certainly we saw some of the starters pulled back and, and some right. management there. Then you hit that result, doesn't go your way. Now you have to turn around, play Houston, who's, you know, a hungry, winless team, mm-hmm. um, or or most, you know, hungry, struggling team. Um, so I, I think that, you know, I'm really curious to see where does this current team sort of shake out over the long term because that, you know, that sort of early season um, anomalies that I mentioned that potential regression of the mean, you know, is this a, is this a playoff team? If it is, it's probably sort of a lower in the table, you know, mid table five, six type of seed maybe, but, or, or is this just a, a team that is a lot better than it was last year from last place, but, you know, is not quite at a playoff level yet. I think that's, you know, one of umpteen interesting things, but maybe one that we haven't talked about on this pod yet.
0: Yeah, I think that I'll I'll piggyback off that for my my general statement, which I think is that um moving up in the NWSL table over the course of a year is really hard. And we actually don't see it happen a lot. We've seen teams that perennially are making the postseason, right? That complete that arc and make it make it to the playoffs. We've seen teams that historically have started out that that way and then maybe drop out for a year, make their way back into the playoffs. Um Progress in the league is hard. I think you, we we haven't always seen. You know, you look at teams like Orlando or like Houston, or we're trying to see Kansas City grow into this, or trying to see Gotham grow into this. Like Gotham made a huge step forward last year, going from a team that really really struggled to to making the the quarterfinals. And um, but sometimes we act like these processes are possible, as if the team's competition doesn't exist. And so I think that it's going to be a little bit of a back and forth of is, is the progress being made. And then of like, are you getting results? And that's where I think the difficult work of the regular season begins. And, and you look at a team like Kansas city, they should feel great about their challenge cup group stage, but what they're about to do is harder. And I think that that is something to watch because I think we want to be watching for progress because it's great for the league. If every team is competitive, but I think that rising the ranks of the table over the course of the season is a very difficult thing to do because the teams at the top, North Carolina, maybe the best example, don't really want to give that up. So I uh, I'm fascinated to see if we will get surprises come the end of the year, maybe is where I'm at with
1: it. I would love to see more value on the shield, but I don't, I'm not exactly sure how you do that.
0: I don't either. (laughs) Give them a lot of money, I guess.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Uh, yeah yes the shield is is the hardest thing to do and um i'm excited to see the the work of all of that begin so i'm sure we will have more storylines to cover next week thank you so much jeff for joining me shout out to our producer extraordinaire jacqueline purdy and our distributor blue wire podcast i've been your host claire watkins thanks y'all for listening we'll see you next week